Hello everyone and welcome to the Mortgage Show podcast. My name is Monty and I'm your host of the show that investigates and discusses the latest news and views in the mortgage market and the general financial world, all delivered in a down-to-earth, challenging and hopefully witty way. We have a humdinger of a show for you today and I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by not one, not even two, but three members of the industry and national press at the very top of their game. In no particular order, first up we have Vicky Hartley, the group editor of Mortgages at A3 Media, uh, responsible for Mortgage Solutions. Hello, Vicky. Hello, Monty. Lovely to be here. Thanks Lovely for inviting me. Lovely to have me. you. And also from the mortgage world, the man who, well, the man who gave me my first opportunity to comment in the press. Yes, you can blame him. It's Robin Hall, publishing editor of Mortgage Introducer. Welcome. Lovely to be here, Monty, and we all make mistakes. <laughs> I see where this is going to go today. And representing the national press, we have Sarah Davidson, who is the delightfully titled Knowledge and Product Editor at This Is Money. Indeed. Thanks very much Welcome, for having Sarah. me. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks. Um, so, not sure how this is going to work, but let's give it a go and try to squeeze in as much as possible in the next 25 minutes or so. Uh, first off, thank you for coming. Second off... Um, it would be good for each of you to sort of just tell me very briefly a bit about, well, what you do. What's a typical day? Who wants to start off? I'm happy to start. Vicky, you look keen. Come on. <laughs> I'm always keen. <laughs> no, the days have got longer, let's be honest. They've changed a lot since 15 years ago. <laughs> right. Um, still, probably as much face-to-face, maybe a little bit less than they used to be, but the days are definitely definitely longer. I think perhaps start, start with, a, with a coffee meeting somewhere, but generally we tend to be quite news-focused on the first two yeah. alerts, so we're all kind of chained to desks generally from kind of half eight till till midday-ish. Yeah. Then after that, things free up a little bit. We get out and about, go and actually see the industry. Let's be honest, that's where the good stories come yeah. from. So, you know, a little bit less room for a glass of wine than you used to be. <laughs> uh, but still the odd one, now and again. You've dispelled the first rumour. You said you start at <laughs> half past eight. You see, well, most, ju- most people think journalists start at about, you know, Well, I live in Brighton, so I'm on, the, I'm on the 7.12 train. So that tends Blimey. to jumpstart things. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So things have changed a little bit, as I say. Robin, similar for you? or Very, very similar. Um, I don't think the, the day ever finishes, really. Um, so, <laughs> Not from your Twitter profile. Well, exactly. So you, you can start at 7.12 on the train or you can still be going at four in the morning, um, mm. as we normally tend to <laughs> every now and again if we're out and about. Um, but yeah, that's much the same as Vicky. So very much uh, glued to our desks for the first couple of hours. And then try and get out as much as yeah, you can and yeah. see people later in the day. Sarah, from a national perspective, obviously you started in the in the uh, mm-hmm. in our industry. Um, how's it changed from a from a national viewpoint? Much more buzzy, much more um, dynamic. I think. I think uh the thing that is different at national level is that we don't get the opportunity to go out as much. Uh, my boss, Simon Lambert, is brilliant at, at letting us kind of like encouraging us to go Amazing. out and and see people. Uh, but <laughs> he actually, is brilliant. hello, Simon. Um, <laughs> but um, he, um, but but I think that's quite unusual at national newspapers yeah. now. Um, you know, if you manage to squeeze in maybe two or three meetings in a week, that's pretty good going. Um, it, a lot of it is desk-based, mm. um, and so phone calls. Um, a lot of it's emails as well. You know, we've got two new journalists who are qu- sort of just fresh out of uh, university, yeah. and they um, very, very much focused on email. You know, <laughs> so you don't must, like picking up the phone. You must get <laughs> hundreds of emails. How do you? Uh, well, each. How do you 
just pick out what's relevant, what isn't. Because I probably get 100 emails a, a day. You must get thousands. Yeah, you just don't read them all. I, mean, I think that's, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> scanning you for a headline. <laughs> yeah, you're scanning the subject lines. Yeah. You're looking for who it's from. If you recognise the name, I'll always read the email. Mm. Yeah. And the subject line, if it's interesting, fine. If it's okay. if it if it just looks like, you know, boring, no way. So free I just, beer, there's no that yeah, type of title. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that that'll always get an open. <laughs> um but yeah, there's just not time. I mean I get probably five hundred emails a day. Wow. Um yeah. Unopened in my inbox, mm. forty eight thousand. Forty eight thousand. Yeah. That's that's not unfair. And that's not that's not about laziness, it's about actually yeah. attention that you have to spend on things that make your day work. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's about writing the best stories you can and finding just jumping on those as fast as you can, making sure they're dealt with in a timely fashion, other things drop down the priority. Yeah. It's a shame. And it is. It's it's one of the hardest things to get used to actually, is because I feel like, you know, everybody deserves a response. Yeah. It's just it's impolite not to reply, but you just can't. I mean it's physically yeah. impossible. Wouldn't wouldn't write any stories if I replied to everybody or read all my emails. I thought you were just being rude when I get one word answers back. No, that's special. (laughs) (laughs) I'm feeling special now. (laughs) So how do you how do you go about? uh, So what makes a good story then, Robin? What what is it for you that that makes you open that email or write a story on it? What makes a good story? Um, Mum bites dog. Is a story. Yeah. Dog bites man is not a story, and that that is <laughs> in essence brilliant. what you're looking for. That's genius. Um, I like that. So that so that that is what would float our boat. Yeah. Um, and really, something that it has to be new. It's yeah. news. It's a cl- so mortgage broker bites regulator would be a great story. It would be. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There's ideas for people. Yeah. Agreed. Quirky is always great. Um, I think as well, self-promotion, unfortunately, it, it can be an interesting place to start for a story. Yeah. But actually, it's something that really tells you something about the marketplace, the state of mind, the people in it, the way the market's going, something that predicts the future. All of these things are interesting. I think purely when people are trying to sell you a story in on something that's purely about something they've just done yeah. on a company internal company but that, that sadly that's that's a little bit on the shallow side you don't like the look at me I'm brilliant type well, things there's always place there's a little little bit of room for those I think mm. there's more there's more broader interest let's be honest you get, tend to get much bigger hits for things that inform people yeah. and generally dig a lot deeper um, and that's where I think the industry um, some people do it brilliantly um, I think the industry could do with some help, actually, yeah. in raising its game. Sometimes yeah, that's perhaps journalists can consult, PRs can can help too. I think yeah. in actually making sure there's more strategy and more interest. Sometimes in the kind of press releases we get, which often obviously is the starting jump-off point for yeah. a story. The best place to get really interesting stories, though, is face to face. It's great to sit yeah. down with people and actually champ it through, spend some time really getting into the nitty gritty. That's where the best stories come yeah. from for me. I think there's like there's a number of different approaches as well. So there's there's all the kind of industry data that comes out, uh, and we have to report on that. Uh, Certainly in the trades, but at national, we—I mean, we'd look at the numbers. If it's a particularly yeah. interesting set of data, then we would do it. If it's not, we probably wouldn't. Um, and so, what you're looking for from people in the industry and, and commentary is not these numbers tell me something that I already knew. It's, it's actually like, what does it mean? 
like what's the context for these yeah. numbers? Because yeah. I think a lot of people reading those types of stories, they don't know what sixty five thousand mortgage approvals in December means. Yeah, they have no context for it. So, so the commentary just being, you know, it needs to be colourful and analytical and add something. Um, same with you know papers coming out of the regulator just saying we welcome this is so boring um <laughs> if someone's delighted about something oh, yeah, exactly, else we can then do it's without absolutely that well. getting that deleted cut out straight away <laughs> don't be delighted please never be delighted nothing is ever you'd rather, unique you'd rather be angry <laughs> i'm disgusted by any this. other emotion would yeah. be fine yeah. <laughs> um, so i think that th- th- that's one type of story and then the other type is um is as Vicky says, is going out and meeting people and talking to them. It's the stuff that you get off the record, I find, often makes the best stories, and then you can build it into a story with that knowledge. Uh, so someone will tell you, oh, this thing is happening. It's going on behind the scenes. I don't want to be anywhere near it. Don't quote me. Don't let yeah. anyone know that I've yeah. let you know, but you need to do some digging. And that then allows you to go away and investigate yeah. what's, what's going on. So uh, one of my reporters, Will Kirkman, did a story on the retirement interest only mortgages um, earlier this week. Yep. We did an FOI to the FCA asking them how many mortgages, uh, retirement interest only had, mortgages had been written in the past year mm-hmm. since they changed the regulation. 112. 112? Wow. 112 in a year. Wow. 12 providers. That doesn't surprise me, actually. Um, no, and that was not something that we did off the back of, you know, oh, here's a random idea. We were given a... a an idea that that would yeah. be around about what was going on, uh, so we knew what question to ask. Yeah. So that, um, and then you can build a story around it. So that is how I would say. So one of the questions that came in actually on on Twitter was, um, as PRs, what do you want them to do more of and what less of? I guess it's sort of that. Really, is there any, is there anything? Are there, are there any big do's and don'ts from from PRs and press releases, Robin? Um. I don't know. Keep it interesting. Don't yeah. phone me and ask me if I've got an email. Okay. <laughs> email no, that, that, that is probably one of the worst things. That, that <laughs> we all agree. Yeah. You get a phone call from the PR saying, have you got my email? So, well, you sent what do it, you so I presume so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, don't do that. And have you printed my email? Well, or have you printed my press release? Yeah. Well, have Does a look. Google work? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> don't waste my time. Um, Agreed. I, I think there is some great... Uh, some lovely people in PR in the industry. There's no doubt about that. We've all got some great relationships. I think one of the things I would say, though, is that relationships, which used to be based on strategy and story teasers, story building, yeah. uh, there's a lot less of that nowadays. That's you know, I, I love a tip off. You know, it's great. Yeah, absolutely, it's great to be fed something you want. From Obviously, I've never tipped you off on. I couldn't Anything. possibly comment, Monty, on that. Um, protect our sources, Monty. Indeed. Well, this is the thing. We'd always protect a source, you yeah. know, for a great story. That, that's the thing. And PRs need to be operating yeah. more in that space. That would. Do you be- know what? Over the years, I do respect that because sometimes, yes, I have done that. And I know other people who have done that. And you guys are really good. So if anyone's listening who does think there's an it important works. story out there. You can trust it. Yeah, you can. You can actually trust them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think also more more cocktails and beer, obviously. That's another, <laughs> yeah. That always goes down well. It doesn't it, Jess? Yeah. I think there's a lot more... I was thinking about this the other day, actually. I think uh, PR has got a lot more kind of glorified press office mm. in recent yeah. years than it used to be. Um, it was... There was a lot more strategic comms 
advice being given to clients, whereas now I think there's a lot of just handling queries and it's not very, you know, you'll speak to the thing that sets apart a really good PR in this market from a not great one um, in terms of the job that they do. They're all nice people, um, mostly. Uh, (laughs) But the thing that sets them apart is understanding the industry you know knowing what a story is because they understand how the market works it's infuriating speaking to a PR who's like doesn't really they just don't know what's going on in the market Mm. so how on earth are they you can't expect them to write you a good press release if they don't understand what the trends long term in buy to let are agreed and people who used to be able PRs used to be able to speak for their clients their clients on holiday I've got this Uh, I can give you you know five solid quotes from I, I know what they would have said that's gone. You now wait five hours to get two-line response. For me, you know, that doesn't really um, explore the depths of of the kind of journalism that you want to be producing. You know, Uh, you can ask for responses, but you don't, you just don't get the quality. So you're finding people are more careful now it has to go through i mean i assume especially from lenders and compliance and and everyone's well they're just scared of saying the wrong thing which is a shame one thing that would be really is a really important point to make actually is that journalists under fca regulation when we report on uh anything in the market like products for example we have an exemption um, that we are allowed to write a story about a great two-year fixed rate and it mm. doesn't get caught by the financial yeah, promotions yeah, regulations. So we're allowed to do that. That's how you can have share tips yeah. in newspapers because yeah. fundamentally that's a newspaper recommending you buy a share, right? Yeah. Which a broker or an IFA would not be allowed to do on Twitter. Yeah, I've lost a lot of um, money f- well yeah I mean (laughs) up to you whether or not you follow them but I do think that's kind of misunderstood by a lot of people in the market so they're like oh we can't say this and we can't say that well you're telling me something you're telling me your opinion and I'm reporting it and that's okay Mm. it's not an advert because it's editorial so it's it comes under those rules that's very interesting um so how um so have you got any examples of like what's the worst press release you've ever Anything you can, oh, you you know can think of? I got you know that one. Um, how many pieces of toast with avocado spread on them would it take to save up for a for a deposit for your first home? <laughs> I got that press release and I was like, "You are kidding That's me! Just that is horrible! No way!" Do you know who published it? The Mail on Sodding Line. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> what are you going to do? What are you gonna do? I'd love to see the comment section of that story. Oh, yeah, and now it's a thing. So that just goes to show I've got no new sense whatsoever so how (laughs) so how do you guys monitor success of a story is it is it all about the click now not all um i watch google analytics from the beginning of the day to the end to see how things are performing and then when we send out we send out four emails a day when we reorder stories we obviously have most read there's a reflection of what the readers are thinking and doing that sits on every newsletter um, but I'm also very aware of which stories have really caught attention. Yeah. You can kind of get a sense of that from social media as well. Um, it, no, it's not all about the clicks at all. There are things which you make an editorial decision are worth more than other things. When you know someone's spent four weeks on an investigation, for example, it may get 200 clicks on the first day, but I will put that at the top of the, the yeah. homepage because it deserves attention from people, especially if it's raising industry yeah. issues that yeah. really need to be debated. So you make some editorial decisions along the way. You 
you you know obviously you choose not to run stories if you don't think that they're the right thing mm. to do if they're distasteful or don't mm. uh, do something damaging for example um, but no it's not all about the clicks it's a lot about the clicks I have to say yeah. but not all because there has been quite a bit of criticism levelled at the, the media generally wow. no one specifically that that actually that's what that's what they're doing now and I, I understand I that think it's newspapers and websites now. you know we're businesses um, and I, it's, we're not doing this for, for free yeah. so the clicks I'm, I would totally agree with Vicky there's a balance between delivering your commercial responsibilities uh, which is creating enough views on yeah. the site to deliver your ad campaigns which fundamentally pays for the news to be written um, but then also using your editorial judgment to uh, decide and curate what you know is valuable for the reader. Uh, so it's definitely a mix of those things. But I think that just serving up volume is not is not enough. And there are some, you know, I can I can understand why there is that criticism levelled at the media generally. But I do think that there is a lot of quality in there as well. It's trying to strike the right balance, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Having the, the the integrity to go and pursue those great stories and annoy some advertisers. But yeah. mm. obviously yeah. we are reliant on the <laughs> yeah. advertising money. So yeah. it's an interesting balance for Tiki for trade. Um I I'm you know, I'm I wouldn't know actually, obviously at the national level, but for trade you have some very close conversations with people who yeah. take offence to the stories that you run. Oh, it happens, I've had it happens of, at national yeah. as well. Uh, okay, yeah. okay. No, I'm sure it does. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, very thin, there's some very thin-skinned reactions to mm. robust debate. Nowadays, that's part, of the, part and parcel of being a journalist, being able to stand and defend your story in the way that you not only investigated it, but chose to present it, the words you yeah. use. That's, that's your job. Um, I also think that that's actually what the advertisers are paying for, and sometimes they forget that. Yes. They think, you know, ultimately, ultimately they're paying because we give them exposure and distribution and we are trusted mm. to write the truth um, and not to be influenced by those commercial relationships, editorially speaking. Uh, at the minute we start writing stuff saying this company's great and not we're not doing our jobs and the readers stop trusting us and then there's no value in the ad. Because it's it you know there the readership will go down as yeah. a result. So Agreed. they're they're just they're stabbing themselves in the back, really. I think yeah. undue political influence is important. Um, plays a part here as well. You know there are key figures who feel their voice is worth something or worth mm. more than or should have certainly swayed away a story was written. You get a lot of coercion. Yeah, I've always had a lot of coercion in the market. People feeling that they should be able to roll you over effectively and tell you <laughs> what you know the way you should be presenting a story, I what your top line is. Well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but you know, it, it's that's that's part of the that's part of the position of being a journalist. There yeah. is, you know, you're in a responsible position. These things happen. You attract this kind of ire. Uh, you just need to stand firm. That's the point. Mm. Without naming any names. <laughs> we all know who they are. Indeed. Though. You're all looking at me. <laughs> You're one of the good That's guys. That's really hard. <laughs> I try to be fair. If I think you have someone's written something that's taken out of context then uh, That's and that's fair too, and that's robust that, and we yeah. should listen to that and, and yeah, debate I think it. that I think that is I mean there's always there is always room to um, have a conversation about you yeah. know, if you think that we've written a story that's misleading and damaging 
then because we've got it wrong, then that needs to be something that's raised 100%. Yeah. Absolutely, but wrong um, is different to not what you no, wanted. Exactly. And, and that, that's a very important point. The amount of a very emotional emails or calls I'll get, you yeah. know, it's normally between 10 and 12 at night for some reason. I can't I can't think why that would be. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> saying, this, why did this happen? Why? You know, and they're, it's, they're not disputing a factual issue with the story. They just didn't like, yeah. either didn't like either the headline or the way the story rolled out. Mm. Or they just preferred that it looked a different way and was much more positive, let's be honest, about yeah. the company or something along those lines. I think Twitter after 10 o'clock should be bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Social is dangerous. It can be, Social is really dangerous. After that, yeah, a couple of drinks, I think that's the rule, that isn't it? Or hindered your, your general getting stories and massively you know, helped massively helped massively i helped. think it has There's so many st- stories that you can find from mm. the realms of twitter and especially after 10 o'clock especially after 10 o'clock and that's great and it, it's good that people have a voice and they can share a platform and everyone can say what they want and yeah you, you can follow the right you follow who you want to follow you can make your voice heard amongst yeah. your peer group yeah which other before that, you, you'd mm. have to wait for a letter to be published or uh, yeah, whatnot. Yeah, so. Absolutely. I, I think. Uh, sorry, Monty. that's what, that's what I was going to say. The the what I like about it is it's really helped a whole new generation of people come out and, and become spokespeople. I know yeah. sometimes we all get precious that actually we all want to be the number one spokesperson, but actually what we really want is more voices. Yeah, there's room and for that's everyone. a great thing. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's one hundred percent true, and it's one of the one of the lessons I was taught by uh, an editor of mine from the Independent on Sunday was don't go for the low hanging fruit, yeah, uh, because it's the same three or four brokers who you know will turn a comment round in five minutes yeah. for you, and that's what you need. So there's a danger that it's a kind of echo chamber if you always go to the same people. Mm. You want to talk to people who do the job rather than are just comms people. Um, and a, a variety of people around the country as well, like focusing on just on London is something that I yeah. think the media can be guilty of. Um, so like speaking to people in Inverness and Cardiff is also... <laughs> A good thing for us to do. It's important. A, it's a really good point. I, I think the hardest thing is uh, people are so busy that yeah. you'll drop them an email and again, perhaps you'll get something back six hours later. That's tough. You know, people used to create that 10 minutes to talk yeah. to you on the phone so you could immediately get that comment, you know, on, online and up. Um, it's, it's really, I think, obviously brokers are so slammed at the moment. Mm. It's uh, it's unprecedented the numbers of cases coming through the work that, that actually finding the hours in the day to, to genuinely offer response seems to be our biggest struggle. Mm. We do a raft of supper clubs. We're out meeting new brokers every day. The cards are being exchanged. Yeah. You drop the email drops or you give them a call. People genuinely struggle to come back to you. It's such a shame. Yeah. Uh, we want to hear more. I mean, we'd love to hear more from any of you. Drop, drop us a line. You know. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Drop them a line. Don't be shy. Uh, but guys, remember, I will always turn around to comment. And <laughs> if you need that long, low hanging fruit, we do. We love, we love <laughs> but more voices we are love good. It, Monty. We do. Um, right, I'm going to split this program into two because actually, you know, you just done 23 minutes just like that. So, um, uh, in the next episode, we're going to talk about our industry and what you think of it, etc., etc. But before we go, if you weren't doing your current job. Sarah, what would you be doing? If you weren't a journalist, what would you do? Oh, God, that's so difficult. A uh, novelist? 
novel. Is that cheating? <laughs> it's sort of the same thing, but I just really like writing. Yeah, there you go. I've tried doing other things, and I keep coming yeah. back to the mortgage market and writing about it because um, I go off and do something else, and I'm like, no, this is rubbish. <laughs> Bring me back to mortgages now. I understand. That. Mortgages is like it's like crack cocaine. It is. I'm such can't. a geek. <laughs> Vicky, that's a tough one. I always wanted to be a ballerina growing up, but uh, sadly, you know, just got a bit large for that. But um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Being a fisherman in Mexico, I like fish. Mexico's nice. Mexico, nice and peaceful. That's I genius. Yeah. I like that. Robin, oh, I'd have to work in a bar, Monty. <laughs> That's it, done. <laughs> and on that bombshell. There you go. Well, uh, well, thank you very much. Thank you, Vicky. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, thank you for listening. We will be back. Uh, well, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. And if you have any comments or questions in the meantime, um, to put to myself or our guests, you can contact me at Monty's blog. Until next time, this is the Mortgage Show signing off. 